0: Uh, So we're going to be continuing in the book of John, the gospel of John. Uh, We're in John 9 this week. We're going to be reading John 9, 1 through 25. Um, Generally, just as a general thing, I tend to to read out of the NIV. So if you're ever kind of wondering, like, you've got your app. I tend to use my phone for my Bible most of the time. Um, It's... Generally, the NIV. Every once in a while, I'll deviate and go to other stuff, but I try to warn you if I do. Um, I wanted to start off this morning with a quote from John Wimber, who's the founder of the Vineyard Movement. And he once said this. He said, I would rather pray for a hundred people and only one gets healed than to pray for none at all and no one knows the healing touch of Jesus. And it's this theology for understanding failure. Um, God doesn't always heal when we pray for it, right? We've all experienced that. So what do you do with that? What do you do with that? You have to do something with that, right? You can't just let that sit. We have to, we have to do something with that. And as we read in this text, we're going to talk about how the early Jewish people, um, there was a theology that they held that if um, someone prayed and they didn't get healed, um, it was probably because there was sin or God was punishing them with their illness because of sin in their family or the, from their parents. Now, I know firsthand, um, having worked in special, special education for a number of years, that sometimes parents can make choices that affect their children. I've, I've worked with a number of kids who had drug affected babies and their kids have stuff going on that affected them. Because while they were in utero, mom or dad, or mom, sorry, doesn't generally come from dad, mom, um, doing stuff, um, like, affected the brain chemistry of of the children. Um, And it's something that kind of, you can work through it, and you can help manage it, but it's there, right? So that was a sin of a parent affecting a kid. But that's not what we're talking about here. What they're talking about is, um, like, a corporate sin, And so we're going to kind of get into that a little bit today. We'll talk a little bit about that. But our job, what God calls us to, is to pray. Right? Is to pray for healing. And then the rest of it's in God's hands. The rest of it's in the hands of God. But our job is to pray. Our job is to seek God and lift people up before God. If we don't have a theology for failure, where does it leave us? So if we pray for someone to be healed and God doesn't do it, does that mean he doesn't care? If we pray for someone to be healed and they don't get healed, is it because I didn't have enough faith as the person praying? If I pray for someone to be healed and they don't get healed, maybe it's because they didn't have enough faith. Right? There's lots of different places that that can take us. Um, I grew up Pentecostal. um, And in the Pentecostal church, It was a failure of either the person praying or the person being prayed for why God didn't heal. That was what I was taught. And it's a really bad theology. It's a bad theology. And we're going to get into that a little bit um, as we move on. So I just kind of wanted to kind of set the stage for you a little bit of where the, the vineyard kind of lands in this area of healing. And we believe in praying for healing. We're going to pray for people for healing today. Um, my, my hope and my faith is that God is going to heal some people this morning. That's, that's my hope and my prayer, just as Jesus did. I want to operate out of a position of faith. I want to operate out of a position of God does and can heal. That's where I want to be. But I cannot manipulate or force or control God in any manner He holds my very atoms together, the dust from which we are all formed. God created that. I can no more control God than I can control my cat. (laughs) Right? I mean, I can tell my cat, hey, cat, go sit. And my cat's going to continue to sleep. (laughs) I'm not calling God a cat. But I'm just saying, you know, I, just, I have that much control. There's, there's just no control. Let's jump in. John 9, 1 through 3 says this. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. So he's always been blind. His disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned? So his people, the disciples, John, Luke, Peter, all these guys, they're like, Jesus, who, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Because that was the common theology of the Jewish people in that day, that someone had to have sinned if you have an affliction. If you're deaf or you're blind or you have some other deformation, if you have leprosy, someone had to have sinned for that to occur. Jesus responds, neither this man nor his parents sinned can you imagine such a fundamental theology that you've grown up being taught and living with? And here's this guy you're following, Jesus the rabbi, completely destroying it. Like he completely disassembles their belief system as far as how someone has a birth defect. Jesus completely destroys it. He says, neither of them sinned. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So maybe some of my amazing friends, and I I have amazing friends who have birth defects that I've worked with over the years who I love dearly and deeply. One of my really good friends in youth group when I was growing up was very autistic. He was really significantly on the scale of autism. Um, His name was Zach. I'm not going to give his last name, but his name was Zach. And I remember, (laughs) I loved this. Zach and I, we took Zach to the fair with us, because as a youth group, we would go to the fair. And Zach went to the fair with us. You remember Zach, Cherie, right? Yeah. Uh, We would go to the fair, and like we would go on roller coasters, and Zach loved roller coasters. But it's so funny, because if you know um, some folks with autism, some of my friends with autism, um, they tend to have kind of a flat affect, right? They're not super emotional, which is probably why I really like them so much, because I'm not real emotional. Um, But we would go on roller coasters, and Zach would raise his arms and go, whoa, whoa, because that's what everybody did. But he would do it, like, completely flat. And I loved it. Like, it made, me, it made me so happy. And he was really having a good time. Like, he loved going on roller coasters. Like, he really, really enjoyed it, and he loved hanging out with us. And we loved hanging out with him. And I, I loved my friend Zach. And his parents, his mom was our our worship leader at the church. Um, And he had the most amazing parents. And like before, this was the early 80s. And so before autism was as understood as we know it now, and and things were kind of set in place um, where people could be on their own. They like, um, he had his own job uh, as we got into college age. He had his own apartment. He lived near his folks, but he had his own apartment and, and managed his own life. I mean, he lived on his own. And Zach was awesome, and I loved him, and, and he was amazing. Um, and neither him nor his parents sinned. Zach was amazing the way he was, the way he was born. And he was my friend. And I would be really pissed, sorry, I would be really angry if um, somebody told me that, that he must have sinned in some way when he was born or his parents did to, for him to be that way. That would really, like, I would get pretty mad at somebody if they told me that. That would really upset me. Um, so it's not it's not about sin. I've been parts of Christian circles where what Jesus is saying here is completely the opposite of what they believed. And, and early Jewish circles, where oftentimes when we're suffering physically, we ask God why he's punishing us, and the short answer is that he's not. He's not punishing us. Um, I I ask permission. Our, our, our friend Billie Jean's in the hospital right now. She's got some stuff going on. She's not feeling very well. She's one of the most pure souls that I know. She loves Jesus in a way that I can only hope to ever love Jesus and attain and knows scripture probably better than I do, and I have a theology degree. I mean, she just, she's amazing. Billie, I love Billie Jean to death. There is no sin she committed that why she's in the hospital now. It's a bad theology. I'm going to probably circle around to this a couple times today. It's not a theology that we should own that God is punishing us because we have something like that happen. Here's kind of where this came from. So this is an old belief. It was widely held that suffering, and especially such a disaster in their culture as blindness, was due to sin. There's there's a rabbi from that time, Rabbi Ami, who said this, there is no death without sin, and there is no suffering without iniquity. They believed that all suffering was due to sin, due to personal sin, not communal sin, due to personal sin. And so it's not so strange that later on, some of our Christian beliefs, some of this creeped in, right? Because we're, after all, where Christianity is based out of Judaism. You know, for the first uh, two to three hundred years, um, Christianity was simply considered a deviant sect of Judaism. It was just like, a, like, those are weird Jews that are following this Jesus rabbi guy. These guys are kind of strange Jews, but they were still considered part of the Jewish culture. Let's continue on. John 9, 4 through 7. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground and he made some mud with the saliva and he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of psyllium which means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Instead of focusing on this man as a theology problem, Jesus saw him as an opportunity to work the works of God, for the kingdom to break in, for healing to happen, for God to be glorified through this man's healing. And Jesus talks about how he sensed an urgency to do this while it was still day, while he was still on earth. See, all of us, anyone who's listening to the sound of my voice right now, we have limited time. We only have so many minutes and seconds and hours and days and years on this earth. Mine are ticking away rather rapidly. I was at a friend's birthday party last night, and we were talking about these different stages in our life and how you turn different ages and and you know you you as I've been growing older I' getting I'm getting a greater sense of that my I don't have all that much time to do what it is God has given me to do so am I loving people well am I being Jesus to those around me am I bringing kingdom principles to bear in my everyday life what am I doing with the time that is allotted to me That was like an offhand quote from Lord of the Rings. Um, (laughs) I mean, what what is it that you're doing? What is it that you're doing? What are you putting your hand to? I must work. I must work is a marvelous statement of Jesus. The worker is a well-earned title of the Lord Jesus. He is the worker, the chief worker, and the example of all workers, says Charles Spurgeon. A night is coming when no one can work, Jesus says in this scripture. He understood that opportunities for service and helping others just don't last forever. He knew his time was limited, he knew he wouldn't have reached my age. Jesus knew that he was to be sacrificed before that happened. And so he was doing everything he could to bring the kingdom of God to bear. Can we do any less? What are we doing to bring the kingdom of God to bear? What are we doing to serve others? What are we doing to bring God's goodness? And, you know, we're saying a lot about God's love today. How are we embodying the love of God to those around us? Continuing on in verse 8 through 10 in John 9. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claim that he's what was, but others were like, no, he only looks like him. After all, how, how could it be him? He's blind, right? I mean, that guy's blind and this guy's not, so that can't be him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? They asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to the psyllium and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. In Christ's ministry to the souls of men, Jesus adopted no stereotyped approach. He dealt with each man as the particular need required. Right? So like, if we encounter someone who's blind, like if we're doing this prescriptive method of approaching, so scripture says, do these things. And so Jesus healed blind people by spitting in mud and putting it on their eyes and then having them go wash in a pool. So, you know, if it's just one, two, three, X, Y, Z in our approach to Scripture rather than faith in our approach to Scripture. We should all, anytime we encounter a blind person, spit in some mud, right? Spit in some dirt, make some mud, put it on their eyes and have them go wash in, the, in this pool. And then they'll be healed, right? Because that's that's the math for people get healing. That's the math that we use. That's how people are healed of blindness because that's what Jesus did, Right? Um, I've talked about this before. I want to come back to it again. Because what Jesus did here is not stereotypical. He healed multiple different blind people, and he did it differently every time. So there is not one process for somebody being healed. If it becomes a formula, if our faith becomes a formula, if our approach to praying for people and healing people simply becomes a formula, we're talking about magic. Because magic... Is a process, you know, you ring a bell, you light some kind of incense, you say this certain prayer, and then something is supposed to happen, right? Some kind of magical thing happens. If we're turning our faith in Jesus Christ into magic, that's wrong. As a matter of fact, it's probably sin. Because then we're not trusting in God anymore, right? It's not God doing it, it's my process. It's not God doing it anymore, it's my method for how I pray for somebody. It's not God directing me and guiding me. Jesus said over and over and over, I only do that which it is that I see my Father doing. So Jesus was constantly looking to the Father, looking to Jehovah for how he was to approach bringing the kingdom of God to bear. It was faith. It was his faith in the Father. It was faith in God of when God would heal. It wasn't this process. It wasn't... Doing this particular prescribed set of things, um, I I've mentioned before. I grew up Catholic, and growing up Catholic, there was a lot of of ritual that we did, and and to be honest, I found some comfort in that. Um, but they also have particular rituals for like if, for praying for somebody to be Whoa. Well, I don't know. I like jumped out and caught me. Um, <laughs> um, they have particular rituals for like when you go to pray for someone to be healed you do these things um, in our stream of faith in the vineyard movement we give it to God and ask God what to do next so like if if I was to pray for my friend Shauna and Shauna had a bunion on her foot or something um, and she asked me to pray for her I, I would ask God as like God how should we pray? God, what should we do? How do you direct me? And listen for the Holy Spirit and then do what it is the Holy Spirit directs us to do. And it might be different. Sometimes it might be spitting in the dirt and making mud. Sometimes it might be um, asking, you know, is there something that you um, have been wrestling with that's really the cause of this problem? Maybe sometimes it's, you know, we just, I, you, you shouldn't go into... Um, praying for someone to be healed with an idea of exactly how that's going to look. Because then you're trusting yourself and not trusting God. And all of it, like faith is trusting in God, right? God, what do you want to do here? God, what are you bringing to bear? Um, anyway, I, I'm going to stop harping on that there. But let's, let us have faith in the giver, in the source, in the healer, in God himself and not in our method, and not in our procedures, and not in how we think things should go. Let us instead put our faith in Jesus Christ. Let us instead rely on the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us and show us how to pray. Um, Continuing in John 9, 13 through 15. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes, was a Sabbath. Oh, here he goes again, healing on a Sabbath. We know how this goes, right? Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Boy, that's weird, right? So some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Right, he's doing it wrong you don't heal on sunday but others asked our saturday for them but others asked how can a sinner perform such signs so they were divided like so they were having this debate within themselves right like like the man was miraculously healed he had been blind from birth and now he's healed how can that be evil and then the other side's like but he did it the wrong way because he did it on a Sabbath, and I'm not even sure how I feel about this spitting thing, because the Jewish people had this issue with bodily fluids, like uncleanness, and yeah. And they're like, so he like he like did it wrong. So continuing on. So they were divided. Then they turned again to this blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. I love this question. How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. How can a sinner perform such signs? If God is moving, how can Jesus have been a sinner? Do you remember last week when they said that Jesus was a demon? Let's see, what was it? It was a demon-possessed Samaritan. Jesus was a demon-possessed Samaritan, which was like this huge insult in their culture. It seems like this is a common human tactic, right? To dismiss others by like tagging them like, you're a this. And so we don't have to listen to you. Or you're a this. And so we can cast you aside. Or you're a this. God says, look at the man's heart. God says, look at the fruit. What is the fruit? What is the fruit of what they're doing? And with Jesus, even though he healed on the Sabbath, the fruit was that a blind man who'd been blind from birth could now, see, that's that's some good fruit, I think, especially for that blind man, right? If you had been blind literally from the moment you were born and had never seen, can you imagine that first moment when you wash your eyes and suddenly you could see? Can you imagine that for a moment? Like your whole life, you're in darkness, your whole life. And this man shows up and spits in some dirt and makes some mud and slaps it on your eyes. He tells you to go to the pool, so you go to the pool in faith, right? The man had the faith to go to the pool and wash his eyes. He had the faith to believe that maybe, just just maybe, God could break in and do something miraculous. And he did see i imagine he did the biggest like a way happier dance than when your team wins the super bowl right like this guy was like can you imagine the how ecstatic he had to be and and like when like the priests are questioning him right and everybody knew in the culture in the jewish tribe there everybody knew that anybody who said anything good about jesus was going to be cast out of the temple or maybe killed they all knew this And so this man knew what was going on when they were questioning him, that they were trying to nail Jesus and nail him, right? They knew. And he still stood before them and said, he is a prophet. He is a prophet. Continuing on in John 9, 18 through 20, they still did not believe that he had been blind because it had been Jesus who healed him and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. They're like, is this your son? They asked, is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know that he's our son, the parents answered. You know, mom was probably like, yeah, I was there. Kind of played a part in that whole birthing thing. His parents, you know, they answered. And we know that he was born blind. It's the kind of thing a parent would probably know, right? Just like I know with my son, he's got this little birthmarky thing that, like, he's had it ever since he was born. It's there. it's Part of his body. It's been part of his body forever. Blindness is even a little more dramatic, right? But, they say, continuing on in verses 21 and 23, but, How he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know, his parents said. I think they knew. I think they knew. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. In other words, we won't know part of this. Don't nail us because somebody came and healed our son. Right? We still want to be part of our community. His parents said this, it continues on, because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. And that was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. They were scared. Like, it's the man, Jesus healed him. He's like, no, he's a prophet. I don't care, you can... Cast me out of your community if you want. I can freaking see. Like, I can see. I've been blind since birth, and now I can see. So, like, you can say anything bad about Jesus you want. I'm not joining in. But his parents are like, "Uh, you know, I mean, they had to feel some kind of gratitude towards Jesus because, like, he healed their son, right? I would assume. But they were so afraid of being cast out of their community. They were so afraid of being tagged as one of these Jesus followers That they're like, we're not going to lie, but we're just going to like push it off and say, well, why don't you ask them? Um, You know, growing up, I was a sibling. My sister and I, sometimes one or the other of us, would do something that our parents probably didn't care for. And, you know, parents, you start asking the questions if you have multiple kids. Who did this? Well, they did it. No, they did it. No, somebody you know—somebody else other than the child who actually did it. Like, everybody else did it except for that person. I feel like the parents are doing that a little bit. They're like, I don't know. <laughs> who, who healed this man? I don't know. <laughs> like, nobody knows who healed him. I think they did. They were just scared. So continuing on in verses 24 and 25. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man, referring to Jesus, is a sinner. I love this reply. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, and now I see. I was blind, but now I see. This part really jumped out at me today. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. My favorite thing is when a synagogue or church people do this because they don't want to accept something, and so they spiritually manipulate someone. You know, I've talked a couple times about attaching God to things. And, you know, sometimes in leadership, whether it be Christian or Jewish, you know, this is an old problem. It's like, here's the result I want. This Jesus guy is taking our followers. We don't want him to be recognized as a true prophet or a Messiah because he keeps pulling away people from us. And so we know he's a sinner. So if you want to be right with God, you need to agree with me and proclaim that this man is a sinner. So tell us the truth. Give us the story that we want, not the story that is true. Give us the story that we want. Because we know this Jesus guy is a sinner. It's spiritual manipulation. They're spiritually manipulating this man Are attempting to except it didn't work. Because he's like, I don't know if he's a sinner. I can't judge that man's soul. All I know is that I was blind and now I see. Right? Victims of spiritual manipulation seldom realize what's happening to them. I was thinking about this like a few indicators of what is spiritual manipulation. I was trying to think about this just from my own experience and from what I've read, stories I've heard from other people. It tends to be like a very legalistic culture. They demand obedience. Like, no, you will do what I want. Like, you will say that this man who is a sinner, right, the, the going back up here, give glory to God by telling the truth. I want you to tell me my truth. I want you to tell me the truth I want, not the truth that's actually the truth, right? So demands for obedience. Unquestioning submission to man. You must do what I say without any questions. You may never question me because I am the chosen one of God who stands before you and brings you this truth. And so if you say anything against me, you're not actually saying it against me. You're saying it against God himself. And so you must submit to me because I'm the chosen one of God. Scary, right? Like it can't just be me that like finds that really ugly. Punishment. Shunning. I love the word shun. We don't use the word shun enough anymore. I shun you. Ryan, That you didn't use strings today by playing bass. You are shunned. I shun you. It's just a, kind of a fun word. Like expulsion. Like, you know what? What you're doing is so bad, like they were wanting to do to all the people who accepted Jesus as God, right, or as Messiah. The early uh, Jewish temple, they were sh- they were expulsing. Our ex- what is the plural for expulsion? Expelling. Thank you, my lovely, brilliant wife. Expelling people. I was gonna say expulsioning. <laughs> Expelling people. Uh, you know, you can no longer be part of our community because you're not saying what we want you to say. Right? You're not telling us what we want to hear, and so you can't be part of us anymore because you're not telling us what you want, what we want to hear. Emphasis on performance. Right. Because God says that if you're not if you're not checking those boxes, if you're not, you know, playing guitar like John Bonarosa or you're not playing drums like Neil Peart or you're not, (laughs) you know, you're not a singer like Bono that sorry, you just can't be part of the worship team because you're just not good enough. You don't perform well enough. So, you know, sorry. Or if, you know, I'm not a preacher or evangelist like Billy Graham, then I have no right to stand up front and talk about Scripture. Or, you know, we could continue on, right? It's this emphasis on performance. Or if you're not performing, you know, exactly the way I want you to, then God doesn't like you. And he's really not interested in having you around. And, you know, it's not me. It's It's not me. It's just what Scripture says. Like, don't take this personally, that I don't want you to be, like, part of, part of me, you know, or part of my people. Um, it's just, that's what the Bible says. So you can't be, you know, because you're not performing well enough, and God wants us to be our best. And hear this. I study before I give a teaching. I read through it multiple times during the week. Sometimes I come back to it, and I tweak things or I change things or if the Holy Spirit's speaking something to me, I'll, I'll add it in or, or do something with it. We should be trying to give our best to God. We should be giving everything we can to advance God's kingdom. We should be trying to, to be the best that we can be for God, for the kingdom of God, to bring the kingdom of God to bear. We should want to do that, but not for man, for God. Not, not for man. Not for my expectations, not, not for Dave's expectations, not for Cassie's expectations. I mean, it's not, it's not, well, you know, Mary expects me to do it this way. And so if I don't, then, you know, God might not want me anymore. And so, you know, they might isolate me, which is the next thing. I've seen this happen before in church. Or they just start pushing people away. And they just start isolating people. You're no longer part of community. And it's painful. And people hurt for a really long time. And sometimes they never come back. Because it hurts so bad. And it's so painful. And it's so ugly. Public humiliation. Humiliation. public humiliation. I I have a friend. Um, I'm not going to give any details of, of who they might be, but I have a friend um, who, her husband was an abusive drunk. Now, he never physically hurt her, but he um, tore her down. He manipulated her. He would talk to her friends about her and get them against her. He would scream at her in the face for like, like extended periods of time where it was really ugly. And she had a daughter as well. And he would just come home and he would get plastered and he would get super abusive to both her and her daughter. And they were part of a church that said, she just needed to deal with it. Like she married him, and so that's that. You need to be abused, day in, day out, because you you chose to get married. You have a you have a child, and they reached a point where he was starting to get more and more. You know how things escalate; they tend to escalate if they get. Left too long, and our behaviors tend to get worse and worse and worse the the longer we engage with them. Um, he was starting to get really, really abusive to their daughter, and it was like she started hurting herself, and um, school started failing at school. It was just this whole domino effect of this abusive this abusive guy. And so they went and met with the leaders of the church, and the leaders of the church told them the same thing: you just you know you you're, you you chose him. And so you can't. You just need to deal with this. Um, and so she um, eventually it got so bad um, that they they left because they weren't getting any support from their church community, and they weren't getting any help for their marriage. And he refused to like go to any counseling, and he. He refused to see that he had any kind of a problem. He just thought this was normal. This is okay. I come home, I get drunk, I scream at people, they do what I say, and then I go to bed and it starts all over again the next day. It became normative, right? Sometimes if we've been in our sin for so long, if we've been struggling with something for so long, it just becomes normative. It's just like part of our life. This is just like, this is how things are. Um, And they left. They left. Uh, And the church leaders wrote a letter to the whole congregation, uh, letting the whole congregation know that they should not have no contact with this lady or her daughter, that they should, if they see them in the store, um, that they couldn't communicate with them. They just had to tell them to go and speak to the pastor. That they couldn't engage with them in any way. Um, They had mutual friends. The daughter had mutual friends at the school. The youth kids were also told To stay away, they needed to shun them, they needed to, they were put out of the community of believers, and that they would be under discipline if they had any interaction with them aside from simply telling them to go and speak with the pastor. So they publicly humiliated this woman, they named her, it wasn't like an unnamed person, they specifically named this woman and her daughter and said what their sin was by leaving this guy. And they weren't even divorced, just separated. Um, so she lost everything. Because her church community was her community and her friends. Um, I have friends in this church who were Jehovah's Witness, and when they left the church, it was a similar thing. They lost everything. They lost all their people, including family. Just wouldn't associate with them anymore. This is not the way of Christ. It's spiritual manipulation. And as people who it says, you know, what is God? God is love. Doesn't look much like God, right? That woman wasn't seeing a whole lot of Jesus in her community. That's a really heavy thing. It's not something I talk about very often. But it was here in the scripture, and so I felt like, you know, we're, we're working our way through the gospel verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and this was there. And so I felt like the Holy Spirit saying to me, this should be addressed. We should talk about this, and maybe, just maybe, there's some healing here that can happen, that God can do something. It'd be really easy to walk away after something like that happens, right? And just never... Take a chance again. Has anybody here ever dated somebody and they broke up with you in like a really bad way? Just me? Okay, that's all right. The rest of you are so loving and so amazing that no one ever broke up really badly with you. I've had it happen more than once, okay? Um, And like, you know when you're in that phase of like, okay, that's it, I'm single forever, I'm never going to date again. All women suck. Like, I just, there's nothing, like, forget all of it. Like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm going to go be a priest or a monk. And, like, just forget everybody. Everybody's horrible. Like, you get in that stage, right? People who have suffered spiritual abuse in, in a church community, they feel the same way. It's the same as having a really, really bad breakup. And so... We have to love. We have to be Jesus. And we have to understand that church might not be a safe place for them for a while. It might not be a safe place for a while. There's healing that has to happen. Eventually, obviously, cuz I married my lovely wife, you know, you you can heal. And and you find healing and and maybe you find Somebody who's not like that, who's not going to treat you badly the way that that person or community treated you, and you can start to heal. Philip Yancey said this. One bold message in the book of Job is that you can say anything to God. Throw at him your grief, your anger, your doubt, your bitterness, your betrayal, your disappointment, He can absorb them all. As often as not, spiritual giants of the Bible are shown contending with God. They prefer to go away limping like Jacob rather than to shut God out. It's really easy when we're hurt by fellow followers of Jesus to throw God in that mix too and push him away. Because if these are the people of God, if these are the followers of the way, if these are Jesus people and they're treating me this way, I want nothing to do with this Jesus person, right? I mean, it's not unreasonable for people to turn away from God when something like that happens as well. And I think sometimes, and I I know I grew up with this belief, um, that if you ever question God, that you're sinning. But if you look in the Bible, Job, King David, Saul, Isaiah, Daniel. I mean, I could just keep going on. They are like, even the disciples, they're like, Jesus, what, what are you doing here? Right? Um, like, it's okay to question God. It's even okay to be angry at God. It's even okay to like, feel like God has betrayed you. Because we see that in scripture. We see that in in the Bible that that like serious followers of God. Like, can you I can't imagine that Abraham wasn't questioning what God was doing when he told him to take his son up to sacrifice him. Like he had to be questioning God, like, God, are you like really? It's okay. It's okay. we can't push God away entirely it's okay like Jacob to wrestle with God it's okay to ask God why why is this happening what is going on how can I possibly deal with this that's okay God is big enough to handle that God is big enough to handle that just don't shut him out just don't drop him for, for good and just say, you know what? There's just no point. There's no point. Because we need Jesus. We need his light. We need his guidance. We need the Holy Spirit to walk alongside us and direct our path. We've got to have Jesus. There's no other answer than Jesus. I'd like for us to pray for each other today. As I was preparing this teaching, as I was praying and asking God, kind of what, what to do. I felt like there were two different things that that the Holy Spirit was teasing out in the Scripture, and one is is physical healing, like the man who was blind, and Jesus Jesus healed him. Um, it would seem like an impossible thing to that community, right? They had a hard time believing. They even like called in his parents. It's like, are you sure this is your son that has been blind from birth and can now see? And people were questioning whether he was even the guy, right? They've known him his whole life. He was part of the, this was not a big village, right? Like they knew the guy and they were still questioning like, are you, like this guy can see and, and Bob who was healed, Bob, Bob's blind and this guy's not. This can't be Bob because Bob's been blind his whole life. And so sometimes we have to pray even when things seem impossible. Sometimes we have to continue to pray even when it's like, I don't even know how this can happen. Our job is to pray. God's job is to heal. None of us can heal anybody. No matter how badly I want it to happen, I can't make that happen. Only God can. Only Jesus has the power to break in and cause a miracle. Not Dusty. Dusty's got nothing. On a good day, I get up and put on the right pair of pants. I can't heal anybody. And the other is this. If you've been a victim of spiritual abuse, if this has ever happened to you, where um, people have hurt you in the name of God, um, I want to pray for you this morning. And um, I want to do two different things. Um, I'm not going to ask anybody to come forward. I didn't feel like we were supposed to. Um, what I would like to do is if you need physical healing this morning, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Um, and I'm going to pray for you. Um, if you have been someone who's been the victim of spiritual abuse, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, um, just because of the. I, I view it as a really it's an intimate thing, that should be shared with people who are close to you to kind of help walk that out with you. And if if some of what I've said this morning has really kind of touched a chord in you, um, I'm available to you, and Dave others. Um, you know, we're, we're available to you, to meet with you, to kind of walk some of this out, to, to pray for you, to bless you, to um, help you understand that it wasn't your fault. Like, I, you know, sometimes when we're the victim, we own everything, right? Like, we did something to make it happen. And the reality is not. It's, it's a power issue um, with someone who was trying to control and abuse you. And so that's why I'm not just having people raise their hand where they're at for this one. I just, as I was praying, I really felt like that wasn't the right thing to do. Um, however, we would love to help walk that out with you and, and pray for you and, and help you with your healing. Um, so I'm gonna just do a general prayer for those who um, have have suffered this kind of thing. Um, and so you just own this if, if that was you. And then. We're going to end the service by praying for folks uh, who need some physical healing. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you come? Lord, for those who have been hurt, who have been manipulated, who have been shunned, who have been isolated who have been purposely controlled or injured in your name Lord I um Lord I, I as someone who is in spiritual leadership I stand in that place and Lord we we ask for forgiveness Lord would you forgive those um, who were pastors or teachers or prophets or evangelists or, or youth leaders or whatever kind of role they fill in, in, in spiritual leadership, Lord, would you forgive us? And if, if anyone who's here in the sound of my voice, if, if you could find a way to extend forgiveness to those who hurt you, or at least begin that process, Lord, would you give the grace for that to start happening this morning? Lord, would you show your mercy, God? And Lord, would you you begin to change and soften the hearts of those who perpetrated that kind of abuse? Lord, would you begin to change them? Jesus, would you begin to, um, through your Holy Spirit, um, show them, how they've harmed others and begin to change them so it doesn't happen to anyone else, God. But Lord, for those who are victims, those who have been victimized by uh, spiritual abuse, Lord, Lord, I ask right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, would your mercy and love and peace and grace be extended to them. Lord, would your forgiveness begin to take root, Lord God. Lord, heal us for where we've been hurt by people who um, uh, speak in the name of God and cause harm. Lord, it's a it's a it's such a betrayal of trust, and it's it's a hard thing to wrestle with, God. But Lord, I know that you have said that you came to redeem everything. And Lord, I have to believe that you can redeem this as well. So Lord, would you begin that process and show your mercy, Jesus, so that those who have been harmed uh, can begin to heal and feel your love and feel your grace. And Lord, we thank you for them. Lord, I... um, You said, blessed are those who mourn. And this type of pain causes mourning. So, Lord, would you meet them where they are, Jesus? Thank you for your healing touch, God. Amen. Now, if you're someone who has something going on physically um, and you feel comfortable, would you just raise your hand where you are? We've got something physically. Okay, we got a number of folks. So here's what I want to do. The rest of you, can you keep your hand up if you've got something to be prayed for physically? Keep your hand up. The rest of us, I would like for us to come around them and pray for them. Okay, so stand up. We're going to be brave. This is everybody gets to play. All of us have the same access to God, even you, Abby. All of us have the same access to Jesus that he can heal. So I'd like for you to stand up, raise your hand, go to somebody who needs prayer. Judy over here, Dave Hansen over here. Who am I missing? My friends Eric and Denise back here. Hi there. Am I missing anybody? Is there anybody in the balcony? No? Okay. Just double-checking. I don't want to miss anybody. So, Lord, we just bless what you're doing right now. God, we just bless what you're doing. Holy Spirit, would you come in all these places, Lord God? Holy Spirit, would you bring your healing touch, Jesus? In each of these circumstances, God, would you bring your healing touch? Lord, we just thank you for your Holy Spirit in the room this morning. Move, God.